Welcome to season four of the Do More Good podcast. You're listening to the Do More Good podcast. The Do More Good podcast. Uh, welcome to Do More Good podcast. Do more good. Do good, do more. Do more good podcast. Do more good podcast. That's what you want me to say. Okay. You're listening to the Do More Good podcast. Live from a cafe in central London, this is your 14th favourite social good show, the Do More Good Podcast. Always room for improvement, Jimbo. All right, here we are, James, episode number 53 of the Do More Good Podcast. How are you doing? I'm okay, Kenneth. I'm all right. I'm, uh, I'm locked upstairs, I've got a beer, and I've got a packet of biscuits. So, I mean, I'm pretty much set for the next 24 hours. I'm all good. How about you? <laughs> yeah, I'm all right. We're not used to doing this virtually, are we? I mean, we, we, we kind of keep ourselves a bit old school in terms of meeting our guests face-to-face. But unfortunately, the situation that we're all in uh, means that we're recording this over Zoom. So, uh, yeah, it takes a bit of getting used to. Yeah, it does. And, and this is kind of needs must, don't we, at the moment? The last couple of episodes, we were talking about contingency planning for what might be coming. Uh, and now we're firmly into that, aren't we? We're on something of a lockdown in London. So Yeah, and, uh, and mostly around the world. It's, um, how, how you found it, though? Well, I mean, we were chatting last night and I haven't left the house. I've not gone past the end of my driveway for two weeks, which hasn't felt too bad. It's weirdly, I think maybe when I get out there, I'll suddenly realise what a beautiful world it is. But at the moment, I am just kind of locking myself away and being all right. I'm, I'm okay. Good. I know that you have been out. You've been running around the block, haven't you? Talk to me about the <laughs> block challenge. Round the block challenge. So yeah, with a 10-year-old, 8-year-old and a 6-year-old, decided that I needed something that was going to be a regular occurrence each day. So we have a round the block challenge. So the first week we started off every day. It's a 0.4 mile loop round the block. Uh, and we all started off together and see who finishes it, uh, finishes first. Timing it every day. This week we went up to two round, two uh, loops around the block. And to be honest, the kids are really enjoying it. I think it's just kind of part of what I think most of us have noticed is that keeping that kind of regular routine is, is certainly helping them. It's helping me. Um, yeah. so you know around kind of five past five every day we get out there and do that and well you know, I've been it's... eagerly anticipating the results every night <laughs> yeah, look, been look, a few. I'm starting to put down bets I'm, I'm yeah. starting to bet on it oh my um, wife's already having a go at me I've been doing my, my exercise has all been virtual so I've been on the the turbo trainer with the zipped <laughs> up on the big screen and stuff and kind of cycling virtually but you're right it does makes you feel better having doing some exercise for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And hopefully we'll get on to talk a little bit more about that specific subject with our, with our guest today. But just <clears throat> just one thing I want, wanted to say before we kind of get going. So obviously we'll be putting this out in the next week. Thank you to all of those people that have kind of reached out to us. Uh, you know, we really, it's, it's obviously a, a difficult time for us all. I know, you know, I've had moments and, and James, you and I have spoken about this before, before we started recording today about, you know, there's certain people that are having anxiety and I'm feeling tight in my chest on occasions. And, you know, I think it's just important to know that we're, we're all in this in this together. Uh, we're, we're trying to yeah. keep going, but also it's it's OK not to be OK. And if you you know, if you're feeling like um, things are getting on top, you know, please reach out and, you know, we'll be more than willing to have a chat. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm more than willing to do that, as I'm sure you are, Jane. I was in the middle of a chat today with with kind of directors and consultants, and we were talking about um, our emergency appeal. And so we were talking through what was going on with our 
healthcare frontline staff and, and the pressures that they were under. And it was quite intense around uh, the need for cash at the moment and, and what will happen if we don't get that. And my youngest just appeared on my shoulder in the middle of this call with a unicorn in one hand asking me, can I just, could I just get the batteries and, and get some new ones in for the unicorn? And that was the most important thing that could be going on in her world at that point. So just uh, in the moments of kind of great stress come these little reminders around the, the outside. Yeah, world what's going absolutely. On. And we've just had one a moment ago with, with our guest who's very patiently uh, waiting there. But just one thing before we introduce him, I just wanted to also give a, give a shout out to a lot of the work from um, NCVO and the Institute of Fundraising and, and a lot of other bodies around the kind of third sector who are you know who are pushing and, and lobbying government for the kind of hashtag everyday counts uh, message we know that a lot of charities and, and organizations and sporting organizations at every level are um, you know on difficult times so uh, you know it's it, it's good luck to them hopefully we'll see something come out for the government be- before we put this out Without further ado, let's get on to introduce our guest this week, as I say, who's been patiently waiting. He's an established leader within the sports industry, working with some of the most significant decision makers and influencers, and playing a leading role in driving forward sports commitment to social change, so very relevant at the moment. In 2008, he founded Beyond Sport, the global force of sustainable social change through sport, recognising that in the light of the financial crisis, business relationship with society was going to have to change and he's created strategies projects and initiatives that focus on how sport can be used to both achieve authentic societal change but also genuine business objectives and then through the establishment of the consultancy think beyond our guest has advised some of the biggest brands in the world around sport for social change so we look forward to hearing a little bit more about that and Nick has also been at the centre of some of the best practice in the sports industry, having founded the Sport Industry Group, which owns the largest commercial sport awards in the world, uh, the BT Sport Industry Awards. Still waiting for an invite to that one, Jimbo. Maybe we'll see. Yeah, what still, we, should, we must be up for one. <laughs> and he also created and founded the Bloomberg Square Mile Relay. So our guest Nick has sat on the Global Advisory Board of the World Economic Forum on Sport and Society. He's a regular commentator on sports role in the world. And having had 22 years experience at the forefront of this sector, we'd love to welcome him on the podcast to, to share some of his insights. So welcome Nick Keller to the Do More Good podcast. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Kenneth and James. I hope you're all healthy, your families are all good, and you're washing your hands many times. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. How, how's it been for you, Nick? It's really interesting listening to you. I've forgotten what I do, in a way. And mm. this has been so hugely impactful that my very being has changed sorry to that it sounds a bit deep but it was so interesting listening because i think i'd almost forgotten what i do in the spirit of the last three weeks and the four weeks and the dramatic change that my role in life has, has gone through and i think probably a lot of us feel the same and certainly for your audience out there in the communities you know you you set up uh, charities you want to deliver social change and when you go out to do that your intention is to go and change the world for the better and change your community for the better for so many of us now we're, we're kind of reeling a little bit from understanding what that means now but it was very funny it, it almost felt too distant to touch and I, I sort of panicked a little bit actually I was starting to think to myself do I remember any of the stuff that I do <laughs> um, that's the intensity of the way we've had to move in this crisis i suppose and the interesting thing also is that every every 24 hours feels like two weeks at the moment things 
so rapidly and you're having to adapt. So it, it was interesting listening. I'm delighted to be on the show and massive, I suppose, respect and shout out to you as fundraisers, but also to your community and, and, and understanding how deeply hard it is at the moment. Anyway, but thank you for reminding me what I do. I think that's a good point, really, because we we have spent the past four months planning and prepping for uh, the new financial year. And uh, and then all of a sudden, all of our kind of forensic budgeting, the, the mm. preparation, the plans that we put in place, everything just went out the window on one Monday evening when we were all sent home. Well, that's inherently people that start businesses up always plan for growth. You don't plan to do badly. You, you plan your business around growth. What, what's it going to feel like? How am I going to push forward? There's a, you know, I, enjoy, I like the word restless. There's a restlessness to social entrepreneurs, to entrepreneurs, to people working in the community. There's a real desire and ambition to just keep moving and that restlessness. And so we've all budgeted to grow. That's the real difficulty. Just how do I plan for something completely different? And I think that the very essence of this challenge for all of us is the uncertainty mm. and the out of control nature. And I suppose in the financial crisis, we couldn't quite touch and feel the uncertainty because it wasn't around us. It wasn't an everyday experience. Um, but for all of us now, it's not just a business experience. It's an everyday individual fundamental change. And you're reminded of the change and you're reminded of the uncertainty by the very fact that we're now talking to each other across Zoom and, and not sharing a beer together. And I think that's an essential point, really. It's right in your face. You can't get away from it. Whereas previous things, you could get away from it a little bit and you could plan your business. And so for me, it's about, and I'm sure many of the people listening to this and many entrepreneurial people, it's about cutting through on the uncertainty and finding your own tactics over how you plan for the future. And that's what I've probably spent the last four weeks doing, really. I mean, it's an interesting point. I think, I think, no, I was, I was quite keen that we probably didn't just completely talk here about coronavirus and the, in the impact of that, because I think it's, you know, whilst we're, we're in it now and we're recording this kind of of the Tuesday of, of week two of lockdown in the UK, and, and I'm sure we've all got a lot of thoughts going on. But Nick, I think in terms of the, the value that you can give in terms of your experience to, to our listeners, I'd like just to just to go in a little bit to the start. How? What, what did your early career look like uh, in terms of kind of founding Beyond Sport and seeing the potential in sport as a, as a vehicle for social change? Can you, can you talk us through those early years? You know, when you go back to it, my, I was fundamentally not a particular, particularly bright child. And I, you probably hear that a reasonable amount on, on this. <laughs> school school is, was not fit for purpose for me. I don't think it is fit for purpose now. The education system doesn't seem quite connected to where society is at the moment where humanity is um, more humanity than society I think because we're doing with the shaping of, of young people and so fundamentally that anxiety that haunted me was taken out on the sports field where rugby allowed me to legitimately hit people that was huge amounts of solace from doing that funnily enough <laughs> as, a, as a young as a young man um, and so taking out sort of some of those now, you know, I can reflect back at some of those tougher, tougher times and, and the, the, the difficulties I had, that what sport gave me was a, a release, an ability to, to take, take, get rid of some of that energy, 
but also it, it gave me some life skills. And of course, we, we learned that sport can do that if treated in the right way, if used in the right way. So I think that's the background to, to that, that fundamental story. I think understanding the social impact came through this intuition. I'd been in the sport industry for quite a while. I'd seen the very much its benefits, but I'd also not seen any organization really try and pull, pull everyone together to talk, okay, notionally we talk about sports impact on people on communities society but how do we really tie everyone together in a more kind of genuine way what if we start getting the brands and the teams leagues celebrities the mayors of cities the governments to all work together how can we start using sport in a slightly different you know more exciting way and so that was kind of where that connection came about after being in the industry for quite a while, really. So the two things, which is the personal backstory, the financial crisis, which really presented the corporate world with a problem, which was how do we connect to society in the right way, which of course will, you know, if we reflect on what's going on in the world today, it's an even more important thing. And I'm sure we'll talk a little bit more about it. Mm. So those are the two things that came together. So I was always going to end up, you know, as a, entrepreneur I don't work on my own I have a phenomenally talented team who prop me up and so I think that's part of that journey is not quite having the mindset to work for others um, I think is quite important. Interesting just to take you back to the, sc the schooling thing the education system what would you like to see more of there how, how would you see it being more fit for purpose? You know it's an interesting one and I, I don't know what schooling is going to look like in six months time both my Younger boys, 11 and 14, prefer working at home at the moment. They're finding it easier and they can concentrate more without the distraction, which I don't know where they got that from. <laughs> as well as throwing a rugby ball around the back garden as well, right? Yeah, absolutely. But they are, they, I think they're getting quite a lot out of it. And I, I, I suppose we might have a relook at the, the schooling system after this experience to see what is real fit for purpose uh, around it. But I do think that certainly in this country, the we need to redirect towards um, what the future of the workplace is going to be and also what the future of how human beings connect to society and understanding that sustainability is an authentic conversation to teach, that empathy is an authentic subject matter to teach and, and how people connect with each other is you know, phenomenally important. We obviously need to have a, a discussion around how innovation and science, technology, engineering and maths are taught and entrepreneurship are taught. And so I think a bit of a, a move away from reams of exams that I feel are, are probably pretty torturous for kids. And I understand that information is important. I think one of the challenges of teaching at the moment is too much information. So helping kids understand and filtering the access they have to information, how do they turn it into knowledge and how do they turn it into genuine decision making, I think is a very important thing for the education system to understand because by the age of 11, most have mobile phones and are receiving reams of information that isn't necessarily truthful. They know some of it isn't truthful. So how do they decipher that going forward? So I think the education system is a real problem and teachers have a problem because there's almost too much information out there. No, I love really... the idea of my girls coming home saying they've got double empty on a Friday afternoon. That would be as lessons. <laughs> Everyone needs double empathy at the moment. Everyone needs it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I want to just touch on a little bit, Nick. You, you, already, you, you already mentioned kind of the financial crisis and, and kind of that being the start of maybe of, of beyond sport and, and what you were doing. But the connection between 
the corporate world and, and, and the world of sport. And, and obviously you've been around this for, for a number of years. How have you seen that relationship change in recent years? And I do appreciate that it's going to probably change again uh, coming out the back of where we are now. But over the last sort of five, ten years, how, how has that changed? Obviously, the business world is changing dramatically and you have to start with very much the business world mm-hmm. um, and the corporate world where it is. It's finally after, what is it now? We're, we're almost 11 years on from the financial crisis, but you could see over the last two, three years that the conversation was ch- was changing dramatically on how business interacts with society. And when societal change happens, it tends to happen through a bit of a whirlwind, a bit of a tornado. It's never one sector that decides that the world's going to change. It's a, it's, it's a kind of a, a cluster effect and then a, a whirlwind effect, which is consumers change, media change, government change, business change. And it all happens in a bit of a whirlwind. And rarely does it happen in isolation, unless you're in a situation we're in at the moment, <laughs> where one distinct crisis is going to change everything. But fundamentally, over the period of the last... 10 years we've gradually seen key stakeholders in society uh, get on top of this get on board this bandwagon around how business truly interacts with society and as we've seen the public sector struggle to grapple with how it can work in communities you know and, and fund that you've seen the corporate sector stepping in in a bit of a way and you've also seen consumer change So when you put it all together, and and, and the key group of people actually in here is the financial institutions that make major investments. And if you look at the likes of BlackRock, um, who are making substantial investments in them, you can see their sentiments changing over what they want to invest in. That's when real change starts. And And they change when they see everyone else changing as well. So they've got to predict where the markets are going. So it, it... for, for me, it's been, look, our first six, seven years were incredibly tough because no one really know, knew what shared value was and this idea of aligning business and social values together mm. was not really seen as, as very um, in the zeitgeist, I suppose, at the time. But now, certainly, as everyone's talking about purpose and how they connect societies and, you know, you can turn up at events in Davos and people are really trying to avoid the conversation around inequality by talking about sustainability, mental wellness, LBGTQ and and all other things. But fundamentally, that shift is really motoring along. I think what's happening to us now will drive it even further. I think the, the, the one excitement in many ways, if I have a silver lining around what we're going through at the moment, is it's brought us all closer together. I think it has brought the corporate world closer to society um, than ever. Everyone is vulnerable at the moment, and that is a very important piece. It has brought a level of equality that we nothing would have ever brought to it. And I think, you know, when I look at hope out of this, um, it comes from that, actually. And so the gradual process that's been happening, it's almost like the corporate world was just a tipping point. And I think now we're going to see that in a fairly dramatic way. There's a nice point in there about how us being separated has brought us closer together. To, to add to that, James, I think the, the levelling point as well is, is, is also a, a really interesting one, Nick, because I think you're completely right. I think people are now being seen for the humans that they are rather than mm-hmm. the role, profile, wealth, whatever it is that they may have. And that's what this experience has done for 
society. And so I guess when you try and extrapolate that forward and say, well, what does this actually do for human interactions and business and society broadly, when we come out the other end of this, you can only see positives from that. It takes me a while to sometimes grapple with existential threats to my business. It takes me about 24 hours to to get myself into a mindset. I don't dwell on things too long. And, and what I've felt around this situation is there's no point in, in dwelling on the far negative. It's just irrelevant. It's, it's a complete game changer. So let's ignore that. And so you've got to put your best case forward and then run your business accordingly to that. So my positive piece of me talks about this new connectivity uh, between us all that I think will, I genuinely think will is a new place for sport as well. One of the things I've absolutely loved over the last three weeks is watching families cycling around together, your run that you talked about, and that would never have happened. And sport has gone from being big to these little microcosms of just interconnectivity between families and generations that never would have happened before. So for me, I, I have a real sense of excitement around what that, that means going forward as well, because I think people have discovered those bits that I think are very important. And the ir- irony of the cancellation of the Premier League, the Euro, is so important, of course, in the Olympics, to this little pockets and microcosms of people participating um, together and generations participating, which have really lifted me a little bit, actually. Yeah, I don't think I've ever seen so many uh, so many runners or this brand new kit being being shown off. Like you say, there was, we've got lots of families cycling past the window, and then and loads of runners. So that's been really nice to see. Yeah, the football was a big was a big thing that being cancelled, and they don't really know whether that will come back. My best mate's a Liverpool fan, so I'm kind of clinging to the fact that hopefully they don't get to win their, <laughs> their first title in 30 years. It's, it's funny, isn't it, that that feels like a really big thing, but also a tiny thing at the same time. For many, it was the first time they realised something was wrong. Yeah. Mm-hmm. For yeah. many, this was the, you know, the defining piece of it. There was some irresponsibility over Cheltenham going ahead and a few other sports events going ahead. It should never have happened. On reflection, people will feel that. But yes, sport coming to an end and the stopping for a bit, I don't think is that, I see sport as a marker around our year, isn't it? It's religion is, religion is an interesting thing because it gives you a marker where, you know, Christmas, if you do it, Passover, Eid, whatever it is, you know, they're markers of the year and we, we measure our year as they go through. And sport is exactly that. We, we, can, we look at our year over season start, season end, championships, mm-hmm. if you're in, the US, you're thinking about the draft and uh, the Super Bowl and all these things are markers through our year. So mm. it's funny not to have those. They're also marker of your week <laughs> as well. <laughs> you know, for some people, that kind of time is being measured in a different way. But it, it certainly shows how important sport is to society and, and what a fundamental part of it is. And I, I am excited by the repositioning of that, actually, when, when we do get going again. And I think, it, it, you know, it will be that unifying force uh, once more. So it's about those organisations, actually, for me. My challenge to them is how do you use this time properly to engage with fans in a slightly different tone of voice? You know, there's so much dwell time is how are we using that time to reconnect, engage with communities and fans in the real way? And, and even if you're not doing it now, how are you thinking about it to do it in the future? And I think that's a fascinating conversation for organisations to be having at the moment.
Yeah, no, it's a it's it's a really interesting point, Nick. Actually, and particularly, you know, with our a large percentage of our audience probably being in the third sector and working mm. for for charitable organisations as well, who, as we touched on, are you know obviously severely affected in this time when when people when events such as as obviously the London Marathon, which I work for, being postponed till October, and you know the Vitality London Ten Thousand having to be postponed till a later date, and you know lots of events which which charities rely on. But I just wondered if you can touch a little bit more, Nick, on sport and helping the third sector and helping government deliver on, on, on some of the agendas for positive change. I mean, I think one of the, the kind of shining lights out of all of, all of this is, is obviously Parkrun. Um, and, you know, the great work that, that, that Nick and, and Tom and, and Paul have done over the last, uh, you know, 10, 12 years that they've been going to, to really kind of put sport and physical activity on the map every Saturday morning, but also the community elements, the volunteer elements. But I'm just wondering if you can talk a little bit more about how, how sport and the, is, is really helping and supporting government on, on positive change. The interesting thing about government and, and sports is um, sport is a, a longer, a medium, a medium term solution to a lot of problems. It's not a short term solution, mm. um, which is a problem because when you've got an election cycle that's Four or five years. Yeah, uh, you're going to tend to find someone looks for the big event um, to give that little boost, rather than the can we get people fitter. Uh, I suppose this is a, I, I, I'm harking back a little bit three four years ago, really. So because I think things have changed fundamentally since 2015, but the uh, you know the real sense of seeing long term sustainable change in behaviour is something where sport really does have a role to play. And it's clearly proven that, you know, people that play sport when they're younger end up keeping fitter when they're older. Um, I think ridiculous figure, I think it's something like 90% of female C-suite or CEOs played sport or sports teams when they were younger. You know, it's, there's lots of, there's so much data I, mm. I, I, we can go into there. So we know the long-term benefits of it, but of course governments need short-term boosting um, and so sometimes it isn't used around social care as much or around health or around crime I suppose mm. uh, and inclusion as much as it could be but of course you know we're seeing with the new kind of guise of Sport England as an, an, a, a much stronger connection uh, to inclusion and social impact um, through the present government DCMS strategy you're mm. seeing a real change it's it's really exciting and throw Tim Hollingsworth into the, the mix of a real forward thinking, dynamic leader. And Jenny was fabulous. But, but you know, at the moment, you can see they're just getting going at the moment and seeing their response to, you know, 195 million uh, community fund that got released in the last 24 hours, 48 hours. The response, yeah. to that, the recognition of our community being completely kicked around at the moment and so when i when i look at that i find that very important i, I think you know we, with our own work with the mayor's office at the moment we've done through think beyond as well just putting sport at the heart of a sustainable city now um, we use the word sustainable in fairly broad terms is so crucial but what we're seeing more is is funding going into ngos rather than ngbs necessarily so the national governing bodies have always been well funded but now this desire to fund into the NGO sector to deliver on 
more than just grassroots sport and participation, but the social impact that can happen through sports as well. I, I, I feel very uh, excited about the direction that will go uh, in the in the long term, and you, you get the sense that the leadership is within. You know, uh, most of our our bodies now is really shaping up and understanding it. Yeah, absolutely. I think I saw that recently. I mean, you know, from my own work obviously obviously with the London Marathon events and you know we had the, the Vitality Big Half back in the end of March which was a really community centric event and we invested you know a lot of time and energy in engaging communities around the route to get involved and take part and that you know it's just it just amazed me as soon as you kind of you almost lit the litmus paper in one community and had a conversation with a key individual and then you know suddenly it just exploded and, and and the day was brilliant and it really you know i know it's one thing to say we want to celebrate the diversity of, of london and, and and the route but actually on the day it really felt like a celebration and i think that was the that was a real example of, of seeing what you're talking on about there about kind of social movement about you know diversity about sustainability and hopefully it's, it's a start of a lot more change to come. And another thing though, is, and this is one of the things we've got to remember actually at the moment, it's unearthing, you mentioned that key person, mm. finding that key person in that community. And mm. a, lot, a lot of them are, are, are gonna be sitting around actually. So we need to probably think about how we activate them. If you think about that notion that, I, you know, I'm not getting into politics here, of the big society, Mm. Um, that David Cameron talked about many, many moons ago. This idea of finding those key individuals and funding them and, and really empowering them to make decisions within the community and engaging the community and understanding what a community needs. Well, you just gave a perfect example of that. But actually a lot of them at the moment, again, this is a discussion that we should be having at this moment of time, is how do we engage those key individuals that uh, have probably had to shut down shop for a little bit because yeah. um, the cash flow isn't isn't flowing but actually how can we engage them in a different conversation for the future is is incredibly important because they're a group of people that don't like sitting around doing nothing no so i think there's something really important around finding those key individuals mm. um, i also think within our community at the moment this conversation around funding and how we what i love about what's happening at the moment is the speed funding's hitting people in an emergency but because we've been so tied to this monitoring and evaluation and statistics and data and are people getting the return on investment? And I, I kind of think it stymied the system a little bit for a while. And so, well, I'm hoping out also on a positive out the back of this, we realize that we might have to go with a bit of gut feel <laughs> a yeah. little bit at the moment and let's get the money moving. Um, because, um, you know, we need change to happen quickly. It, and I think that's, you know, shouldn't, shouldn't philanthropic investment be always on an emergency? Forget, shouldn't it always be in an emergency? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And it's interesting, those people are going to be going to be leading us out of this, that they're going to, you know, be at the forefront of, of pulling us out the other side and, and kickstarting things when this when this does end. There was a good point there around when this initially happened, I think there was a real focus on kind of technology and infrastructure within organisations. And can we all work from home and how do we connect and do we have the video conferencing set up and are we used to doing that? And then now that that has passed a little bit it's more into culture and how do we work together as teams and can we adapt quickly to working in a different way i mean i don't know about you guys i'm sure 
it's very similar, but I spend pretty much all day now on video calls with people, just constantly talking and, and um, kind of sharing priorities and ideas and things. And that comes back, that you can't suddenly create that. You can probably fix the technology infrastructure. You can't suddenly create a good culture. Are there things put in place in your organisation? Do you feel like you have a, a strong culture? And how do you, how do you develop that? And that, that kind of fits with sport as well, I suppose, isn't it? The more successful teams tend to have strong cultures. Yeah, a culture in an office is different from a culture online that's formed online. And we have a fantastic culture, despite, you know, being a collection of a platform for companies to kind of to create invest in kind of purpose driven business. We, we've got this platform. So we have, you know, four organizations in, in, under one sort of benchmark platform. And, and so it's easy enough when people are physically together to, to maintain that culture. While I'm my view, while we're apart like this, it's much better to work in smaller groups with having your senior leaders super empowered um, to work with smaller groups. Um, and so I think that's where we've we've landed is that touch points with around greater culture are humorous, fun, engaging or educational. Never heavy. You share your best practice as you stumble around in this new world. But fundamentally, you are there to provide moments of relief and connectivity, but in a very light way. And so how I've seen this is very much taking a step back from my desire to create this culture, which is, you know, so important to us. You know, what environment are we creating? I recognize there's very little you can do across the screen um, that is really meaningful. And so I've taken a, taken a bit of a step back and said, right, work in smaller groups. You have strong leaders, work together, define your, your own culture, and then use the rest in a slightly different way. So that's kind of the approach I've, I've taken on it. I think the other bit of advice, if I was going to give people advice at the moment, is find one very credible source of information and base your business planning around that. And so what I've tried to do is say, right, who do... Who are the, it might be two or three and you, you, you build your model through it. Don't plan for the very worst. Plan for what is, might be a reality by experts telling you. And by the way, that's tough with Instagram and, and you know, all the social media coming through. You just pick, pick your, your sources. And then what I decided to do is I've set time frames of, of when I think things are going to happen based on that information. And that's what our business plan is now. And that is how we're recreating our business plan. So, which is, you know, if you, you, you want to know, it's based on more. We will have clarity by the end of May, early June. Mm. Events will start happening mid-September. That's, that's it. Yeah. That's, that's, and, and so remove, cut through the uncertainty, because if you leave uncertainty within your business for too long, it corrodes culture, whatever culture you've created. Sounds yeah. like really good advice. And Nick, and, and so I just wanted to think one, one thing that we haven't, we haven't touched on really, which, you know, uh, apologies, we're jumping around a bit, but what is, what is the typical problem you're asked to solve at your organization? I understand you have a few different branches to the organization, but what's a typical problem that you guys can solve? Always the challenge is believing that, you know, CSR historically is set within a marketing budget. Mm-hmm. It is the real solution is ingraining it into the DNA of the business, making it 
really something about shared value and understanding impact um, is so fundamentally important now. I see purpose as an internal problem and impact as an external problem. And I don't mean this in a rude way, but I'm not entirely bothered what your purpose is. Me as someone externally, I care about your impact on the world now more than ever. How you get to that impact, I'm not sure I want to see your workings or I have time to look at your workings. That's for you internally to think about, to motivate your staff and to position and to anchor yourself. And so off the back of that, my great challenge is helping people understand how they get to the impact that they're after and how they can feel that works for multiple stakeholders. Mm -hmm. So not just your shareholder, not just your employee, but society as well. And making it authentic and something that can be communicated is really that I think that's the crux of our challenge with organizations, really. And every organization has a separate basis for that. Basically, we'll drill down to that point at the end of it, because fundamentally, business needs to make profit and drive profit forward. Yeah, um, And so that's our challenge at the end of it. Okay, that's useful. Well, look, I mean, I, as I said at the start of this, I'm sure we could sit here all night and chat through corona and all of your background nick and, and you know i appreciate we've all got families and probably nowhere to go but we have got families that i'm sure I mean, are... honestly i've got another i've got another 48 hours on this <laughs> yeah exactly but yeah i can hear my kids screaming for, for for dinner out there and but yeah so we're just we're just beginning to wrap this up nick but i just you know thank you for your time thank you for sharing that insight i think at the moment it's it, it's really timely to kind of hear someone of your experience talking about that kind of bridge between the the corporate sector and, 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 and social good in, in general. And if people wanted to find out a bit more about your organization, a bit more about you, where, where can they go for that? So if you go on beyondsport.org, you'll get a, a fair um, chunk of information as well. And you can follow us on all sorts of social media as well. But um, Think Beyond is the, um, is the consultancy side. We have uh, sportindustry.biz and, and the squaremilerelay.com. Uh, can I finish with a couple of lovely moments just quickly, which um, I think are um, watching what a few, um, I don't think sport is covering, covering itself in glory at the moment in the downtime. I think they should be using their time far better, but a couple of NBA stars have um, done a great job and handed their salaries over to employees that are missing out on income. I think we should talk about, you know, Zion Williamson and Blake Griffin that I think have done some, you know, few athletes have stepped forward as contrary to where Spurs are at the moment and what Tottenham yeah. did today was brought a little sick into my throat actually um, over people will remember this when the time comes as well I'm impressed with how Sport England have moved um, I think that's important and I'm loving seeing what some of the clubs are doing around recognizing loneliness as, as being so fundamental in this time period and uh, a lot of the clubs are doing some good stuff but you know Arsenal, Everton, Liverpool, and a few others as well are doing some good stuff here. So what I'm hoping to see, and F1, obviously, with making ventilators and, you know, pretty pretty dramatic. Yeah. What I'm hoping to see is that the sports, once it's stopped reeling from the disruption, will start over the next two, three months, we're going to see some fantastic work come out of this industry. And it's a real opportunity to connect with the NGO sector again. And so I wouldn't, I wouldn't stop harassing the teams. I would start now harassing those with, with in the community that might need a route through because I think there's some real opportunity there and I'm expecting some stunning work to come from sport over the next few months. 
Yeah, and 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 just to just to wrap that all up a bit, Nick. I I read the uh, the few words that you put on your website. I think you published it maybe uh, last week sometime. Just regarding the kind of the impact this is having on the sports industry and and, and sports in general. And I think one of the just pulled a line out of that where you know you said sports role in the world will not diminish out of this and it will become more important. And I think that's certainly something that that I'm feeling as working for a sporting organization i think something that we're we're seeing as you touched on earlier about people kind of running and taking part and getting out in their community and sport has a real opportunity we we all need it we all need it and and never more than at this moment we've got three questions for you in a, in a kind of quick fire fashion oh, okay. oh here we go Shall i go first go on so we haven't we haven't talked too much about your life if you could transport yourself back in time and meet your 20-year-old self, what sort of advice would you give him and why? Focus. Focus, 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 focus. Nice. That's it. Because uh, it's so easy as an entrepreneur to believe in your own glorious ideas, but there's just no such thing as a good idea or a bad idea. There's just an idea that works and, and doesn't work. And as a younger man, my distraction and coming to terms with the fact that I had a creative mind, that a useful mind actually involved me running around doing lots of things that I shouldn't have probably done. So finding focus and, and uh, Nick, don't worry about your own intellectual insecurity. You'll, uh, you'll, you'll deal with that somewhere along the line. Yeah, I'm, I'm still dealing right. with that or not. <laughs> uh, Nick, second question. Can you tell us about one life hack, productivity tool, one habit, one skill? Something you've taught yourself recently that you think everybody needs to know about? Oh, wow. That's a really interesting one skill I've learned recently. I've got to be honest, this working from home thing, one of the things I've realized about my work life is it's a complete stage. The going to work is just a platform and how I perform. It's an, it's an act. Mm. It's a bit of theater. And it gave me huge life force, bouncing ideas off people, seeing people that one face-to-face engagement was a complete life force for me. But I've also recognized by being at home that I get a lot more done when I'm sitting on my own. <laughs> and so I think if I've learned one lesson is that I'm going to get a balance between the two in future. Although I loved the theater of running my own business and being in the thick of it, it probably had a lot of adrenaline running through it and I'm sleeping better at the moment than I have done. Interesting. Mm. Okay, final question for you. And we may have already touched on this, but as a podcast that is focused on people doing more good, what is your favorite story or inspiring individual you have met recently who has done something good for others? Someone I've met recently. Oh, you know what? I was speaking yesterday to a young woman in our office, Georgie, who works in our events team. And she's working from home mum at the moment <clears throat> and they're going around making sure elderly people in their area and i think there's quite a lot of them work can work their internet and uh delivering stuff and making sure they're okay i thought it was just a really simple simple thing that she was doing and i was quite proud of her I and mean, that she, her and her family are making sure that everyone okay it's it's not a grand gesture but actually at this time it's the, it's the type of thing that we all need at the moment. Many a celebrity that does great work, but actually it's those 
small, unheard of, unseen people that uh, that uh, are so fundamental to holding communities together and will be more fundamental and more vital as we go forward. And I was very proud to hear of what she was doing with her, her family. Lovely point. That's good. And I yeah. think, as with all of these things, a situation presents itself. It may seem particularly negative at the moment. But actually, it's an opportunity for people to show how much they care, what they can do. Uh, and there are certain people who are who are jumping and, and leaping into this challenge and looking after their neighbours and supporting other people. It's lovely to see. So yeah, yeah, well done. Well done, Ter. Brilliant. Yeah, well done, my, one of my friends has started a, a booze run. So we, uh, for a few community, <laughs> a few community uh, fundraisers that we have in the village every year. And for some reason, we managed to overorder at the last one. So in my friend's shed, he has a load of booze at the moment. So he put a message out on our group last night. I'm doing booze deliveries if everyone, anyone wants one. <laughs> and of course, everyone was like, yeah, go on then, go on then. And before he knew it, he had like 25 orders of, of booze that he's dropping around the village. The other, so, one, the other one I heard from one of our, our great suppliers, Smart Hospitality, who've had a bloody tough time, you know, in the midst of a hospitality business, having a really brutal time. All their events cancelled, etc., And, you know, lots of furloughing and staff issues. And um, they've just gone and set up Cook 19 and they've handed their kitchens over providing food to all the people on the front line. Amazing. And um, for me, I was, I was really moved by that. And, uh, you know, because in the midst of it, this guy called Greg Lawson, you know, I've worked it with Greg for years. And one week I'm talking to him about how tough his business is and how much He's having to lay people off. And the week later, he's just turned around and goes, right, our kitchen is completely dedicated to how we can deliver food and we're cooking all day and all night. I thought, you complete legend, you know, the true entrepreneur, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. One week there, how do I restructure the business? And the next week, they're thinking, right, what's next? What are we on to next? And I think for me, we've got to all find that spirit, haven't we, a little bit going forward? I think that's a nice, uh, a nice word to, to wrap it up on is let's, let's all find that spirit and, and, and that will see us through the next few months. Nick, thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it. Any final words at all or are you happy to, to wrap it up? No, very good, guys. Thanks. Thank you for the time for uh, you know, offering a platform for our community. Um, I think that's incredibly important and thank you for the work you're doing and I wish you and your family as well over the, the coming months. Thanks a lot. Cheers, James. I'll speak to you soon. Yeah, I've got to go and change the batteries in a unicorn. So, you know, <laughs> the important jobs. The important Cheers. Jobs. So, James, just wrapped up another fantastic episode, if I don't say so myself. How did you find it? It's all right, wasn't it? <laughs> if anyone wants to kind of follow up and actually enjoy this thing, where can they find us? Well, we're on Twitter, Kenneth. At Do More Good Pod. Instagram. At Do More Good Pod. Have we gone multi channel and even gone to YouTube? We have, but you can find all those videos on the website domoregood.uk. And if you want to contact us by email, please use contact at domoregood.uk. 